Well, happy Easter, church. We are so glad that you joined us for these Resurrection Sunday services because this, this is the day that changed it all. Death could not hold him down. Death, where is your sting? Now, this is the day that we remember what we, what we reflected on on Good Friday. And then today, the celebration that in his death was our key to life. Watchman Nee put it this way. He said, our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. You know, we've been teaching a new series in recent weeks that we're finishing today, a series called Eyes Wide Open. And the inspiration for the title of the series is from uh, John chapter four, an amazing story where Jesus is witnessing to a Samaritan woman at a well. And she comes to realize that he's the Messiah. The disciples weren't there for the conversation and they, they miss not only the conversation, but ultimately they kind of miss the point and they return at the end. And Jesus challenges them with this. He says in John 4, 35, he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes, Jesus said. So this, this series has been a reminder for us to live our lives with eyes wide open. In times like these of you know, a global pandemic and quarantine affecting the world. You know, it's more important, I think, than ever before for followers of Jesus to determine that we're going to live our lives with eyes wide open to others and to their needs. You know, throughout the series, we looked at different characters and how Jesus saw people differently than how we so often do. You know, he he gave the, the example of the Good Samaritan. We, we spoke a message called, Who is my neighbor? Which is really the essence of that parable that Jesus told And it's a challenge for us to truly see people, see people and be moved with compassion. And then then we explore Jesus' response to the woman caught in the act of adultery and those that brought her uh, before Jesus, like so many today. And and we can be so easily the people who jump to judgment and see the sin rather than the person. And the message was really a challenge for us to embrace, you know, a beautiful cycle of repentance and redemption and the grace that's in Jesus. And then And then last week, we spoke about an unlikely guest when Jesus comes to the home of a tax collector, a crook, really, Zacchaeus, who had a terrible reputation. And yet there was something about Jesus that saw him up a tree, that Jesus saw the one. And he extends this this beautiful hospitality, a generosity, comes to Zacchaeus's house. And as a result of that conversation, there's a transformation in Zacchaeus's life. That's how Jesus is. He sees people differently. If you wanted a title for this Easter Sunday message, you could simply call it, Unless I See. Unless I See. You know, I remember well um, the day that my parents really had their eyes open to Jesus, my mom and dad. A little bit of the backstory. You know, I, I was actually the first one in my immediate family to really decide to follow Jesus and, and commit my way to him. And, you know, my brother uh, did the same thing shortly after me. But for more than a decade, we really prayed for our parents. We believed for them to have a, an encounter with God in a real and a personal way like, like we had. You know, they, over the years of their lives to that point, had, they'd certainly been to churches and, you know, they'd, they'd learned about Jesus, heard about Jesus. Both of them had gone to Christian schools in their youth. But I think it's fair to say that somehow it never really connected with them on a, on a heart level, on a spirit level. And I say that with zero judgment because actually that was my story too. Like, like them, you know, I'd, I'd been to church, I'd learned about Jesus, I had religious education, and yet it never really clicked for me somehow. It was almost like a picture that was just out of focus. And, but I remember the day it snapped into focus and I suddenly saw Jesus and it changed it all. So, you know, I'd, out of that decision... 
as a teenager, I passionately given my life to following Jesus and experienced so much transformation and change in my life. Actually, frankly, at times they were worried with how much change had happened. They wondered if I joined a cult or something. So much was the passion and the transformation in me when I encountered Jesus. And, and then I pursued full-time ministry, actually from the day that I finished high school. But many years later, more than a decade later, I was actually doing a one-year internship in a church in Seattle. And my parents had not yet decided to follow Jesus, but they came to visit me. And so they came to see what I was doing. And they attended a, a worship service, a Sunday service at that church. I was actually worship leading that day. So they, they saw me sing. And then I sat with them uh, during the message from the pastor of that church there. And I remember at the end of the message, he gave what we sometimes call the invitation, you know, an opportunity to respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I remember glancing to my right, and my mom and dad were sitting there, both of them, tears streaming down their face. And I knew something special was happening. And when he said, you know, raise your hand, just as a simple act of surrender, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, both of them did. You know, as we left the service that day, I mean, this was an answered prayer for my brother and I. You know, something real and radical was happening. And both of them on the very same day, it was amazing. And I remember them saying to me, I said, what was it about today? And they said, well, you know, for years, you know, when we were younger, we would you know, go to church from time to time. And, and, and this was their words. They said, you know, you'd leave afterwards and you think, oh, that was nice. But the way they described the difference that day, they said, you know, we've never really left church before and thought to ourselves, what are we going to do about that? And the difference was stark. You know, this had connected with them on a heart level and something new was happening. You know, they, uh, I moved back to Sydney about a year later, I actually had the opportunity, this was amazing, to baptize my own parents. And my dad, you know, was, from most of my upbringing, more of a stoic kind of a guy, not really given to big shows of emotion. But I tell you, the day of their baptism was different. You know, I stood in the waters with him as one of the pastors said, Greg, you know, what does Jesus mean to you? And again, tears streaming down his face. My dad said, Jesus is everything to me. You know, and this transformation began to touch every area of their life. You know, some years later, Andy and I moved from Sydney, Australia to New York to pioneer what is today Liberty Church. And, and shortly after we moved, my parents did too in their 60s, stepped out in faith, feeling God was calling them into a new chapter. And they helped us pioneer the church. In time, they became elders. They helped so many people um, through the life of our church navigate different seasons. And, you know, a couple of years back, um, my mom went to be with the Lord after a 14-month battle with a brain tumor. And I could say that even in those dark days, even in all that that season brought, there was something radical about her faith, their faith, something about the joy and the hope that she walked in right until the very end when she stepped into his arms, you know, that reminded me really the essence of this message today. And that is that there's something radical that happens when our eyes are truly opened. You know, as I think about the, the Easter story, as I think about Resurrection Sunday, there's, there's something that's always been, I guess, puzzling to me, uh, interesting to me, and that I've wondered about over the years, and it's this. When I read different gospel accounts, it's curious to me how on many different occasions, you know, people who knew Jesus didn't immediately recognize him. When he, when he interacted with them after, after his resurrection, some of, and, and these aren't strangers. I mean, these are people that he knew and loved, uh, disciples. And they're seeing Jesus, and yet for some reason they don't instantly recognize him. It kind of seems bizarre to me. But what, 
I realized the more as I, as, as I was reading and studying these accounts, it became clear to me that what those people were experiencing in those moments when they didn't really see Jesus was all kinds of things. They, some of them were experiencing doubts. Some of them in those moments were experiencing fear. Some were experiencing uh, grief and others of them, it's clear to me that they were walking in all kinds of confusion. As you look at the scripture, we're going to in a moment, it seems that, that they prevented people from really seeing Jesus. They saw a person, but they didn't recognize this is Jesus because of the emotions they were experiencing, almost like a fog around them, blinding them to Jesus right in front of them. And although a few thousand years have passed, I would say um, that it's just as true for you and I here today in 2020. With all the emotions of life and the seasons that we can find ourselves in, that it's possible to lose sight in the fog of all of that, of Jesus right in front of us, to see that he's at work and to see his resurrection power. Of course, that feels timely in the midst of all the events surrounding the coronavirus. And if we're not careful, not only can we miss Jesus in the midst of all of this, but we can miss people that Jesus cares about too, that we, you know, that we can see our own needs, but perhaps become blinded to the needs of other people, or we can think of our own freedom, uh, but neglect the impact of our freedom or our choices on others around us. We can see people, but not really see them as Jesus does, see them as a, a nuisance or a threat. You know, the title of this message today, Unless I See, actually comes from the words of one of the disciples, Thomas. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, even though the, the news that he was alive was spreading, Thomas is so veiled in doubt and fear um, that, that he refuses to believe. And ironically, actually, his statement of doubt has a nugget of truth within it. It has a key to change. It comes from John 20, verse 25. It says, the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, Thomas said, Unless I see, there it is, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, of course, I acknowledge in this moment what Thomas is giving voice to is really his doubts, but he's actually stumbled into a powerful truth that I want to speak about today. And that is this, is that unless we see Jesus, like really see Jesus with eyes wide open, we're not going to see ourselves as he does. We're not going to see life correctly. We're not going to see the world around us as he does. And so I want to spend these moments that I have left looking at three people in these resurrection moments that didn't see Jesus until they had their eyes open and ask ourselves how this could apply to you and I here today. The first is this. Let's see Jesus in the midst of our doubts. So we're going to start with Thomas, whose words gave us the title of the message today. And to back it up one verse to verse 24, it says this in the NIV translation of John 20, verse 24. It says, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again. Think about that week, by the way. Thomas has articulated his doubts. He's in the, he's in the now, but not yet. He's in the tension between that moment of, is he really alive and, and having that encounter for himself? And a week later, it says, Thomas with, was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood, stood among them. What a thing that would have been. So Jesus, I mean, he, 
just such the miracle worker that he is. He just literally appears right in the room without opening the door. And he says, peace be with you. No wonder, because everybody would have freaked out. And then he said to Thomas, listen to this. This is beautiful. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So the, the, really this first thought, this Resurrection Sunday is let's, let's see Jesus even in the midst of our doubts. That's where Thomas was. He was filled with doubts. But I want you to notice some things that are so redemptive about Thomas's story. And one of them is this, is that notice that Jesus doesn't shun Thomas. Jesus' purpose in this interaction isn't to shame him. And Jesus doesn't avoid Thomas. He doesn't come talk to everybody else, but, but leave Thomas alone because he'd have these moments of doubts. Actually, it seems like Jesus makes a beeline right for Thomas, that he sees him. He comes right to him. And it seems to me that Jesus' goal is to help him overcome his doubts and his concerns. See, I believe there's a key in this for you and I, and that's this, it's that facing our doubts and, important, bringing them to Jesus is actually the key to getting free from them. So I wonder, I wonder what you're doing with doubts or concerns or questions, or I don't know, even maybe you feel like you're experiencing cynicism towards things of faith or Christ. But I wonder if you're bringing your doubts to Jesus or to somebody else. <laughs> See, there's, there's another story in the, in the scriptures where Jesus heals a boy whose father has expressed some doubts. And, and this is, this is, you know, that Jesus challenges him on his belief. And this is what the father says in Mark 9, 24. It says, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I like the tension in that response of the father. I think it's honest. He says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Feels like he's kind of conflicted in a way. And I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. You know, his honesty also gives me some hope you know, that he conquered those doubts because, well, firstly, he owned them. And then secondly, he, could, he brought them to the one who could help him overcome them. And that was Jesus. Help me overcome, he says, my unbelief. You know, I think it's fair to say that down through history at times, the church has had a hard time with people's doubts and, and not treated people well in their doubts. And of course, I understand that. On the one hand, I think it's probably fair to say that, sure, doubts can be dangerous. I mean, it's, it's kind of like playing with fire, I guess, in a way, if you keep it like a pad or pretend that it's benign or, or harmless to keep on entertaining these doubts without bringing them to Jesus. And in our day, I think, you know, too many kind of Christian leaders have verbalized all kinds of doubts on social media and asked all kinds of questions out loud that I'm not sure they brought to Jesus or walked them through. And that can be harmful, hurtful to other people who are wrestling with their faith. But on the other hand, Sure, on the one hand, you can say that doubt can be dangerous, but, but you know, denying your doubts and trying to just bury them alive can be even more dangerous. The, you know, Jesus isn't afraid to tackle Thomas's doubts head on. He comes right to him. So here's my first encouragement out of this first point today is that I'd encourage you, if you're wrestling with doubts and questions, bring your doubts to Jesus. You know, if you don't know what to do with them, Bring them to Jesus and say, like the father said, you know, I, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. The second person we're going to look at you know, in these resurrection moments is Mary. And the lesson that she teaches us, secondly, is let's see Jesus in the midst of our pain. 
Seems to me that it was pain that kept Mary from seeing Jesus. It was actually a few verses earlier in verse 11 that it happened. It says, uh, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Sir, that they've taken my Lord away, she said, and, and and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So here again, we have this, 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 this instance of seeing Jesus, but not really seeing Jesus. She didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her the same question, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Well, she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them, what he had said to her and these things that he had said. It's beautiful, this story. You know, she goes to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And, and she told them the things that he'd said to, to her, this experience that she'd had. And we don't know why she didn't recognize Jesus at first. Some commentators will say, well, it was in his first light. Maybe it was a little dark. And others will say, well, the Bible's not clear on how close Jesus was when she sees him and mistakes him for the gardener. Maybe he was a little further away. But, you know, I think most likely, She was just wrapped up in so much grief at that moment. I mean, both the angels and Jesus say, why are you crying? She's tears streaming down her face, stricken with grief. She's in pain. I mean, it seems incredibly probable to me that the thing was she went there to see a body, not a risen savior. She went there, you know, to to love on her Lord who was gone. And she wasn't expecting to see the man she watched die a couple of days earlier, standing there alive in the flesh. So when Jesus says to her, why are you crying? Of course, you know, she's in grief, but it's more than that. Actually, it seems that her grief and her pain was causing her to not even recognize Jesus because actually her grief was about to turn to celebration. I've seen the Lord. He's alive. You know, here he is, our risen savior. And yet in that moment, her grief had kind of blinded her. You know, one thing that's interesting is it's significant, don't you think, that Jesus first appears to Mary. I mean, why does he choose to appear to her first? I mean, culturally speaking, in both Jewish and Roman culture, actually a woman was considered a less reliable testimony, a source of testimony than a man. So it's interesting to me that Jesus not only appears to her, but then sends her off to tell the boys what had happened. And, uh, you know, of course, maybe not much has changed because the boys all decide to go see for themselves. But, you know, it's interesting to me that Jesus honors her in this way. His first appearance is to her. And, and, but it's the moment when she sees him. Did you notice? It's when he calls her name and he says, Mary, Mary. I don't know what it was, but I imagine she'd heard him say that name many times. There was something about his voice, something away that, about the way that he saw her, that he knew her. And And I love, again, a little bit like Thomas, where Jesus doesn't ostracize or shame Thomas for his doubts. 
Jesus doesn't come to Mary and belittle her in her grief or her pain. He doesn't rebuke her for crying, but but he, he calls her by name. And then he sends her on a mission of hope to tell the others what she had seen. So to listen, if this Resurrection Sunday you find yourself right now, maybe in a season of, of pain, of grief, of loss, maybe you're in some kind of a dark night of the soul right now. Maybe you feel, I don't know, troubled or discouraged, like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. This is my encouragement to you, is look for Jesus. Look for Jesus because he is right there for you in the midst of our pain. The third and final thing I want to share today is let's see Jesus in the midst of our confusion. You know, our world is experiencing a lot of confusion right now. Next Sunday, I'm actually going to be teaching a message called Uncharted Territory. I believe the Lord gave me a something fresh right from scripture this week about how to survive, thrive, and succeed when you're stepping into uncharted territory, which I think many of us are right now. I believe it's going to be an encouraging and equipping message for the times that we're living in. But boy, if we feel like we're in confusion now, I can only imagine what the disciples were experiencing when the Messiah, the Lord and teacher that they'd followed for those years was was crucified and died. So in the midst of all of this, you know, um, you know, they, they thought he was the one, our, our savior. And then it seemed like all hope was lost. And Judas had betrayed Jesus, who'd been walking with them, one of the disciples, and then, and then committed suicide. And, and then Peter, you know, had denied Jesus, even after promising that he wouldn't. And he must have been, I don't know, racked with guilt about that. And then all the other disciples really at best kind of stood at a distance. And, and I don't say that with judgment, but I can only imagine how they felt in those moments, terrified and feeling powerless at the hands of an occupying Roman empire as their beloved Lord hung on a cross, died a painful and humiliating death in front of all of them. I mean, they'd all just been through the most horrific trauma, right? So that same day that Jesus rose and and appeared to Mary, two men had left the city just in a cloud of confusion. And it seems in this case that for whatever moment God veiled their eyes just for a moment to set up a revelation like a big reveal where they'd learn a deep truth that I believe would have stayed with them for the rest of their lives. It's found in uh, verse 13 of Luke 24. It says, the same day there were two of them going to a village called Emmaus and about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked, they discussed these things with each other. And Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. That's interesting. So again, they don't recognize Jesus, but it's something supernatural this time. Verse 17, he asked them a question, a leading question. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? So they walk in the verses that follow and they dialogue and Jesus actually leads them through scripture. Them not realizing who he is, he takes them through all the prophecy and and foretelling of Jesus, the Messiah that proved who in fact he was. And by the time they arrive where the two are going, it's getting late and they invite him in to stay, still not recognizing that this is Jesus. But in verse 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then... Their eyes were opened 
and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. It's like he walks with them this whole time. Then they, their eyes are wide open and Jesus is gone. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and, and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way. How Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, maybe you can relate to their story. You know, Thomas's story is one of doubts and questions. Mary's is one of pain and grief. And, and these two, it seems to me that there's all kinds of confusion. They're, they're wrestling. Like we, we thought he was the one. We had hoped, they said, in those, those passages as they walked and talked with Jesus. They're disoriented. And maybe you feel a little that way right now. I don't know. Maybe it's like your finances are all upside down. Or I don't know. Maybe you feel today like your marriage has kind of lost its way or Maybe it's identity stuff that you're wrestling with in this season. Just who am I? Who am I really? But you know, the good news is that Jesus is not the author of confusion. It doesn't come from him. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. Jesus isn't the author of confusion. No, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So as I begin to wrap this message up, you know, this Easter, despite our doubts or our pain, our questions or our grief, our confusion and the uncertainty that's all around us, let's be the people who decide to open our eyes to see Jesus. Because what you need to know is this, what you need to know is this, Jesus wants us to see him. I want to learn to see others too, as Jesus saw them. But again, it all begins with truly seeing Jesus for who he is. Max Licato, the author, put it beautifully. He said, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end, of death as the end. That's what the resurrection did for us. And no wonder he said on the cross these words, it is finished. The end of death is the end, as Max Licato put it. It is finished. Because Victory would come on the third day. You know, I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer in just a, in just a few minutes and, and give you an opportunity to really receive Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior. But before I do that, we're actually going to take a moment of worship and, and a moment, an opportunity really for you to reflect. And the, the song is called, It Is Finished, just like Jesus said on the cross. And I think the words of this chorus sum up so beautifully what today, Resurrection Sunday, is all about. Here's the chorus. It says, it is done. It is finished. Christ has won. He is risen. Grace is here. Love has triumphed over death forever. So let's take a moment to worship before I return and we pray.